And so, Lord, may your will just be done in our lives here and now tonight, Jesus. May we listen with attentive ears to the word, God, that once again will go forth. And Lord, may we once again be just the church that uh, accepts what your word has to say to us. And uh, Lord, ultimately how you are growing us through your word and drawing us closer and closer to you. So God, may we not grow weary and um, Lord, continuing to seek after you, but all the more just hunger and thirst for you tonight, Jesus, and just have your way in us tonight. And so we do pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's welcome Revs. God bless you guys. Hey, praise the Lord. Amen. Man, I'm excited, you guys. This is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time going through this book that I love so much. It's very near and dear to my heart. It's one I've studied my most of my life. And um, I learn something new every time I go through it. And I'm hoping that and praying that that is your guys' experience as well as we journey through it. Going to open up a, again with a word of prayer. And then we'll jump into um, our study, okay? Father God, again, I just want to thank you so much for um, this place to gather. And Father, we are so excited about this journey that we are about to embark on, the book of Revelation. And we want to come to this place with open hearts and, Lord, minds that can just receive your words, Father, and, and absorb them. Put them deep within our hearts, Lord, we pray. Father, as we go through uh, this book, uh, we're going through our lives as well. And we're going to be able to make uh, associations and draw connections to um, even our lives currently and presently. And Lord, we're looking forward to uh, even future events that haven't even happened to us yet. But Father, those things are in your word. And we're going to study those things. So I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would just be magnified and blessed. And uh, bless this teaching, bless this study, we pray in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, you guys. Well, um, you know, I listened to a teaching once by Pastor John Corson. And he said that Revelation is an easy book to find. Um. Many people think, well, Revelation, it's so hard to understand. And a lot of people shy away from it because of what's written in it, how it's written. And you know what? What we do not want is, is that to be the uh, persona that you take away. What we want to do is we want to get into this book. We want to dissect it, break it down, and we want to really uh, understand it for what it is, because guess what? Revelation is not meant to be difficult to understand. It is easy to find, and we're going to hopefully make it easy to understand as well as we go through it. 
a couple of things that I have before you. You might have been handed not just that awesome journal that came in moments before. <laughs> That's how the Lord works. Uh, he's, he's clutch for sure. Uh, sometimes he's, he's growing our faith all the time. But not only do you have the journal, but you also have uh, a timeline. And that timeline is something near and dear to uh, Amy and I's heart. We have gone through that timeline with multiple youth groups throughout the years as a youth pastor uh, before at my previous church, uh, took the youth through that many times. Um, we also have a wall size um, one that is tucked away safely in Pastor Rich's church, or in his office, excuse me, and his church. <laughs> it's tucked away very nicely in an architecture uh, tube, and uh, we use that on that wall right over there when we took the youth group here through it. But you guys have now a copy of that timeline, and it's one in which that you know, we tried to make that as biblically accurate as possible. Now, when you look at that timeline, it's very uh, overwhelming. Uh, and it's difficult because, you know, on the wall, you can stretch that timeline out and you can stretch items out. And it's a little bit more too uh, easy to see as you kind of zoom out and step away from it. But when you squash it all onto a piece of paper, it kind of looks mumbled and jumbled. So that's just how it is. But as you go through each item there, again, that is as, as biblically accurate as we believe and feel that it can be. Now, is it perfect? Probably not. But it, at least it gives you kind of a snapshot of kind of what happens on a timeline and kind of where we fall in time. And we'll see how we kind of also fall in scripture as well. And it may be something that we reference uh, throughout this study. We also have an outline that was handed to you. Um, this breakdown of Revelation is literally a breakdown chapter by chapter of the book. This is chronological. And we'll start there, chapter one, as you see. Chapter one, we're going to talk about Christ resurrected, a resurrected Christ. What did they see before? Well, in books past, we've seen Jesus as a baby. We saw Jesus as uh, one who was a traveler. We saw Jesus as one who was a healer. We saw Jesus in his ministry. And we also saw Jesus persecuted, uh, crucified, dying on a cross. But guess what? He was resurrected. And in Revelation, guess what? We're going to see a risen king, a risen king who's on the throne and in control. That's the Jesus we're going to see in this book. Amen? Next, we see chapters 2 and 3. That's going to take us through church history. The seven churches in Asia that we'll talk about, we briefly discuss it here in chapter one, but we'll obviously get more in depth uh, in chapters two and three. Chapters four and five is the rapture of the church. Amen. Is that what we're waiting for? Raise your hand if you're waiting for the rapture. I am. I am. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that day. I believe in my heart and in my bones it could happen any time. And that's the hope that we have in our hearts. That's the hope we have in our lives. Chapters 4 and 5, we'll, we'll discuss that and go over that. Chapters 6 through 19, the tribulation. Now, the tribulation, we believe, uh, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, and we believe that because of the breakdown of Revelation. 
It's chronological. That's what makes it easier for us to understand. We don't have to mumble jumble. We don't have to try to put chapters 4 and 5 where 15 and 16 are and then move 15 and 16 to where 4 and 5 was. We don't have to do that. Why? Because the breakdown of the book is right before us. It's chronological. And that's how we're going to study this book. Chronological as the events unfold. The rapture of the church, chapters 4 and 5. Then verse uh, chapters 6 through 19 deal with the tribulation, the tribulation, that seven-year period where Christ, God pours out judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world, and we're going to dissect that in great detail as we go through that. Also, side note, you know who's never mentioned in chapters 6 through 19? Right, the church. Why? Because as Amir said, he goes, we got a wedding to get to, and we're the bride, and that's what's going to happen. Uh, in chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 6 again, chapter 6 through 19 again, the tribulation. Finally, chapter 20 is the millennium. Can't wait to teach that. That's going to be fun. We're about to get there with our men's study. We're in chapter 17 with the men, but we're about to get to the millennium. That is going to be fun for us to go through, uh, not just in this teaching, but also to actually live through. That we will look forward to. Finally, chapters 21 through 22, a new heaven and a new earth, and that is where we will spend eternity. That's going to be a lot of fun. So that's your breakdown. That you can keep with you, that you can have. I also have a chapter one outline that I kind of threw together, pieced together to the best of my ability. I'm not a big outline guy. That's not my style of teaching. But what I did like to do is put two key verses in this chapter there for you that we will spend some time talking about. A.D. 95, Domitian had ascended to the throne of the Roman Empire. And he became very evil in the fact that he believed that he was deity. He believed that he was God and that he was to be worshipped. A huge ego, you could say, to say the least. The Christians refused to bow the knee. The Christians refused to worship Domitian the way that he demanded to be worshipped. So naturally, a second wave of persecution was poured out upon the church. This brand new idea, the new covenant. Now people are Christians and they are being persecuted because of this world leader at the time. Persecution beyond even our wildest dreams. Persecution of women seeing their husbands dragged out to the streets and literally tortured and killed before them. Men seeing their wives dragged off. Their kids literally taken from the home and dragged off as well. Unbelievable Massive persecution. Why? Because they refused to worship this man the way he commanded to be worshipped. And so, of course, he unleashes the fury upon these people. John had been boiled in oil. Why? Because he stood up for the word, the truth. John was a man who was utilized by God. He's written five books, Revelation being the fifth. 
the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd epistle, and then, of course, Revelation. But because he was speaking the truth, he was speaking God's word, and he was over the overseeing pastor of seven churches, which we'll talk a little bit about tonight. He was boiled in oil. They tried to eliminate him. They tried to silence him. The massive, you want to talk about censoring speech? Uh, that would do it. But it didn't work. Apparently, the oil wasn't hot enough. It didn't work. He was, they attempted to boil him in oil, but it didn't work. So what they did was they banished John. He was banished to an island called Patmos. And that's an island in the Aegean Sea. Yes, somewhat Mediterranean, but trust me, it was, it was no holiday. This is not a place in that day that you would vacation. It was dry, rocky, barren place that prisoners were sent to. Ships of prisoners would show up, the door would pop open, and they were released to literally just fend for themselves and kill, murder, you know, rummage, whatever the case may be. This was not a fun place to go, and yet John was at this dry, barren, rocky place. And sometimes what we see in that picture, just that alone, what you and I find is that it was in that dry, barren place that John receives the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's how it is for you and me sometimes. You say, man, I'm just so, I'm worn out spiritually. I'm so, I feel so worn out and dry. You know, that's when God can give you some of the most amazing uh, messages of your life, of your spiritual life. Those are the times when he can really speak to you because he knows you're dry, you're barren, and it's rocky, and you're just, man, you, you feel like you're on the rocks, beat up, banished, alone. And that's when God says, okay, now I'm going to speak to you. Now I'm going to give you a message from my heart to yours. And that's exactly what happened with John. He gets the revelation of Christ. And again, you guys, you have to understand one thing. As we go through this book, I want you to put a mental picture in your head. Not only are we going to go through this book and study uh, it for its eschatological, in other words, eschatology, it's a fancy word for saying the study of end time events. We're going to look at those things, of course, but we also have to understand from the perspective of the Christian in that day, at that time, they were going through massive persecution. And if there was ever a, a group of people that needed a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ, it was them at that time. Could you imagine? They're going through mass persecution, wondering, Lord, <laughs> We fully trusted in you. We fully believe in you. We're fully living for you. Why are you allowing this? Why are my kids being taken from me? Why is my wife being dragged out? Why, you know, women would be saying, why is my husband being tortured before us? Why, why Lord, why are you there? Have you felt that in your life? Lord, I gave my life to you. I gave my heart to you. I'm trying to live for you. 
Why is this happening to me? And it's in those times, those dry, rocky times that, man, we need a fresh revelation of Jesus in our own lives. Well, John gets that revelation. He gets that message. And he's able to write this down, and he is able to give it to the church as a letter of hope for them. And he's going to say, hey, good things are coming. Good things are coming. Let's pick it up. We'll begin Revelation chapter 1. That's your little background to the book. Kind of sets the stage for what we're about to get into. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. We're going to stop right there for just a moment because there's a, there's a lot of things we have to unpack, and I'm going to have to be very disciplined because <laughs> we can really spend a lot of time on and get really deep on a lot of verses. But there are some things that we just have to understand here. First of all, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may, in your title of your book, it may say the revelation of uh, St. John, the divine uh, perhaps, um, maybe some old King James versions may say that or what, whatever. But if your title says the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's the most accurate because it is exactly that. Revelation means to reveal, okay? People read Revelation and they shy away from it and they go, oh, I don't understand that. That's interesting. That's weird. That's scary. And they shy away because they think, oh, I can't understand that. No, it, it, that's the exact opposite. We can understand it. It's to reveal, not to cloak, not to hide secrets. You don't have to attain a higher level of Christian-dumb uh, or whatever the case may be. You don't have to attain those high levels before we can tell you the secrets of revelation. No. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done and his heart and who he is now. Christ on the throne and in control. It's the revelation, watch this, of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Notice him is capitalized. So God gave the revelation to who? Jesus. Wait a second. It's the revelation of Jesus. So why did Jesus get the revelation of himself? That pronoun, him, is exactly referring to Jesus Christ himself. Real fast, would you just turn back? We can't do this very often, but we are going to do it this one time. Turn back, please, to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. And this chapter, Jesus is doing the talking. And he's talking about the end of the age. He's talking about end times. And we're just going to pick it up towards the very end of the chapter because Jesus admits something that's very interesting. 
Mark chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus has been talking, but he says, but that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor who? The son, nor the son, but only the father. Jesus admitted that he didn't know when the return of the father of the of the kingdom would be that's fascinating jesus was born a baby and and grew up but it says the bible says that jesus grew in stature just like any other child would and during that time he was learning things and while he was learning things, did he know things probably beyond his years? Yes. You remember the incident where uh, they had traveled a, a long distance and they realized, hey, anyone seen Jesus? Has you, have, you, have you guys? And they're asking their whole group, and it's like, no, we haven't seen him. And Joseph and Mary had to hightail it back to Jerusalem. And where did they find him? Yeah, he was in the temple, teaching and preaching and asking questions and answering them with the elect of the day. And they were astonished at this young boy. And they're like, what have you done? Look at, the, look at all the trouble. You worried us to death. Oh, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? He was growing and he was learning. And through all of those years, it got to one pivotal time at his baptism. And it was at his baptism that the, the, the clouds, I mean, the voice came and said, Behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it was then at age 30 that Jesus realized, wow, I have come here for a reason. I have come here and I have a purpose and my purpose is to die. And that's what the previous gospels and the previous books that we've read about Jesus talk about. Again, we're going to learn about a Christ who has risen, who is in charge, he's got the plan, and he's in control. But it's at that time, the plan was not fully revealed to him. But here it is. God gave Jesus the revelation. Jesus then gives his servant the revelation, which is John and then John gives us the revelation, you and me even today. It transcends time. Verse 2, talking about his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Now watch this. This is one of our key scriptures. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Are you guys ready to be blessed? Say, I'm ready. Are you guys ready to be blessed? Ready. I am too. Because you know what? Guess what? We are going to be blessed. We are going to be blessed going through this book. We're going to be blessed because we are reading it. We're going to be blessed because we're studying it. We're going to be blessed because we hear it. It's the only book that comes with a promise of a blessing. This is it. 
every single time we go through this book, anytime you read through it, anytime we teach from it, anytime we hear it congregationally, we're going to be blessed as a congregation. This church will be blessed because why? Because we're going to study this prophecy. And not only that, you're going to be blessed individually. You're going to be blessed individually. I will be blessed. Not because of my teaching. Nope. It's going to be because the Lord is, has promised to bless you if you've heard it, read it, and seen this prophecy. Amen? I'm excited because we are going to be blessed. We're going to be blessed with the hope of the return of Jesus, our Savior, coming back for us. And we look around in the world today, and we can get into this, some pretty deep despair. But at the end of the day, guess what? We know who wins in the end. Jesus wins, and we win with him. We're going to be blessed. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. And again, we're talking Asia, meaning Asia Minor at the time. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In these verses, we see the Trinity. Going back to verse 4, it says, grace Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That is God the Father. And from the seven spirits, who are they? The seven spirits speak of the seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. I'll reference it. I won't. I won't take you there, but you can read that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Write that down. You can read it another time. But the seven spirits are actually the seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. And so we have God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and then we see, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. It says, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood, church, you are forgiven. Your sins are washed away. It took his blood to do it. God sent his son because he knew that was what it was going to take to wash our sin. Isn't that something? It's amazing. What Jesus did on the cross, the work is finished. When you decided that you needed a savior, and you ask Jesus into your heart to be your Savior, guess what? Washed clean. His blood washed you. It's not like a whitewash. It's kind of one of the, I don't know if it's still popular, but, you know, um, I have ladies in my life who decorate and have painted, and the, the big thing there for a while was to whitewash things and make it look aged and antiqued. Uh, you got to get a certain patina um, I didn't know what these words meant, but I, I soon learned. But the idea of a whitewash thing is that the, the stuff behind the whitewash kind of in certain areas leak through, and you can see what it was. It's just a whitewash, but you still saw the stuff that shone through the thin areas. That's not us. You and I are not whitewashed. 
were completely washed, completely washed and cleaned. I've said this many times to you before. Our sin is forgiven. It's gone. It's as if we have never sinned it. Sins in our past, presently, sins we haven't even sinned yet in the future, already forgiven. You haven't even sinned them yet, but they're already forgiven. How does that work? I don't know. God does. It's amazing. It's an amazing work. And God loved you so much, he sent his son to do that work on the cross. And guess what? We're washed. Our sins are gone, washed. He washed us with his own blood. Verse 6. And he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He made us kings and priests. What does that mean? Do you feel like a king or a priest? Do you feel like that right now? Not yet, but you will be. We mentioned earlier, we talked about chapter 20, the millennium. You're going to be a king and a priest. You will. You're going to rule on this earth. You're going to rule and you're going to reign with Jesus Christ. You and I will. And we're going to have the ability to do some amazing things. And I'm not going to blow it. We'll get there in like 19 weeks. Or That's true, right? <laughs> Stay tuned. Please come. Bring your friends. Tune in if you're listening online. But it's going to be an amazing time, you guys. The world is going to have, you want to talk about the Great Reset? It will have the Great Reset. The Great Reset is real, and it will happen, but it's not happening like they tell you it's going to happen in the news. God's going to do a Great Reset, and we get to be part of that, and it's going to be amazing. Verse 7, behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him. Wow. His wounds are still there. His wounds from the cross are still there. And they will see it. One day, we will see at the Battle of Armageddon, Megiddo, as all nations gather together to surround Israel, to take them out for one final stand, Jesus comes back. And guess who's with him? You and me. And when Jesus comes back and he sets things straight, the Jews will look at him and they'll say, where'd you get those wounds? And he'll say, in the house of my friends. You can see that in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. When you have time, please study that. Verse 8, I am the Alpha. This is red letters, so we know who this is. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Do you see? Do you guys see what is going on here? Do you see now we're seeing a Christ who is almighty. He's not this innocent little babe in swaddling clothes that we're about to celebrate, which is amazing, by the way, that miracle in and of itself. We love the baby Jesus, innocent. And even most non-Christians love baby Jesus. You see 
manger set up, and, and that's celebrated, even in secular uh, circles. Why? Because that Jesus isn't a threat. But as Jesus grew up, and you look at Jesus in his ministry and his life and the miracles he performed and the things that he said, oh, that Jesus, he's a threat, right? And we have seen that, and you have experienced it as well. A Jesus that was crucified, he had nowhere to lay his head, always traveling on the go, but yet loved people, healed them from their diseases, gathered the children. The disciples said, hey, get these kids out of here. They're loud. We're trying to do stuff. And he says, no, 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 no. You bring the kids to me. Gather the, don't send them away. I, and I love that picture a Jesus who just, I can imagine, I, I picture it in my mind, just children just climbing all over him, you know, and him just gathering them around and tickling them and just like wanting to just be with them. The love that he must have displayed, but then arrested and betrayed and brutally beaten and nailed to a cross. These are all stories and pictures that we've had of Jesus. But what picture are we seeing now? The Almighty, the one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty, Jesus. I'm on the throne. I'm coming, and I'm going to do an amazing work. The revelation has been given to me by my Father, and now I have it. I'm giving it to you, John. Now you go and you encourage these churches that are spread out, and it's going to encourage people for a couple thousand years. And here we are today. You and me, we just had a promise given to us. We're going to be blessed because we read this prophecy. Amen? It's exciting, you guys. It's so neat. Now we're seeing a Christ who's in control, on the throne, and he's coming, man. He's got work and he's got business, and we're going to be part of it. Nine, verse nine. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm your brother and companion. Yes, he was a pastor that oversaw seven churches. He wasn't the pastor of all of them. They each had their own, and we'll see that later in the chapter. But he was a pastor, a theologian, but also a poet. Another key thing that you have to understand when we read the book of Revelation is that it's poetry. You have to look at it as poetry. There are many signs. There are symbols. The book was written. It was signified in verse 1. Signified means it was written with signs. There was a couple reasons for that. One, it was for protection of the people. This was a letter penned by John, and it was dispersed to the churches, to the Christians. Could you imagine uh, being pulled over by the Roman guard. Hey, what do we have here? Oh, <laughs> a letter from John, the enemy of the state. Now, why don't we just see what this thing says here? And as I begin to read it, and they're like, uh-huh, yeah, what, dragon, beast, what, huh? <laughs> okay, go about your way, gibberish. They wouldn't understand. But the person who understood scripture would totally get it. So it was, in a way, it was for protection. But also, too, John writes. He's a poet, and it's very illustrative. Uh, it's very, you know, uh, 
hard to understand, illustrative. Uh, you'll see as we get into the book, but it's also to get the people's emotions up, to pick them up emotionally, to encourage them. It's all about how you write, much like how you speak. He could have said, oh, yeah, someday there's going to be a world leader and uh, there's going to be a, you know, one world currency. Or he says, the beast is coming. And that beast is going to be ruling from Babylon. And it's like, no, I'm not going to just say Christians. I'm going to say the bride of Christ. That's you and me. These are meant to get the people excited and, and emotionally invested in what they're reading to pick up their spirits because guess who needed it? The ones being persecuted, asking the question, God, what is going on? I need to hear from you. <laughs> I need to know that you're still there because I've devoted my life to you and look what's happening. My world's literally falling apart. And all I have to do to fix it is bow the knee. That seems pretty easy right now, but I don't want to do that in my heart. But by choosing this road, I am being persecuted greatly, pain and suffering. Lord, I have to know. And Jesus heard the cry. He says, okay. He gives the revelation to John. John gives it, and they're reading this. And as they do, they're emotionally invested now. Okay, this is what I needed to hear. I needed a fresh revelation of Jesus. Thank you. He says, I'm your brother. I'm your companion. Hey, I'm in this with you. I understand your, your pain. I understand your persecution because guess where I'm at? I'm on this island that I'm, you know, running for my life. There's other bad guys out here trying to sneak up on me and kill me. Other prisoners. It's dry. It's rocky. It's barren. There's poisonous stuff. I, this is no vacation. I'm with you. I understand. They just tried to boil me in oil. It didn't work. It hurt, but I'm still alive. I understand. I'm, I'm with you, your brother, your companion. As I'm on Patmos, he says, the word of God, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, verse 10, this is how it went down. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, now watch this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. He tells us which ones. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Ooh. He hears this voice behind him. And in that voice was a declaration of who's talking to him. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Ooh. Okay. I am who was and who, uh, who is and who is to come. I am the first and the last. Write what you see in this and write it down in a book and send it. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He hears this voice. 
It's a, a powerful declaration of who's talking to him. He must have just sensed that, oh boy, could you imagine? You don't want to turn around, but you do. He does, he turns around, and what does he see? He says, I saw a seven, seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Try to picture that in your mind. One like the Son of Man, clothed in a, a robe down to his feet. That's a picture of how the priests would dress. They dressed in robes, completely clothed, all the way covered, just like you and me, the church, covered in the blood of Jesus. And he has this, he's girded about the chest. Now, Priests would have a sash or, say, a girdle, but this one was around the chest area, around his heart, with a golden band, verse 14. His head and hair were white like wool, Ooh. as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. Can you picture this? I picture it in my mind. He hears this amazing declaration, this amazing instruction. You gotta know, it, so it had to sound powerful. And as he turns around, what does he see? He sees this amazing sight. A, one that, like the Son of Man, white hair must have been flowing. Who knows? I don't know. White hair, but his eyes were like a flame. What did that look like? What could that have looked like? Fire is dangerous. Fire can be scary if it's out of control, but it can also be awesome if it's in a fire pit and we're roasting marshmallows around it. We use it to cook. As long as it's controlled, it's okay, right? We warm ourselves with it, but out of control, ah, run for your lives. You and I, we talked earlier about our sin being forgiven. We're completely washed clean. But you know, someday we're gonna go to a place and that place is called the Bema Seat of Christ. And because you and I, will, we've not, we don't have to be judged for our sin. It is a judgment seat, uh, known as a judgment seat, the Bema Seat. But we're not going there to get judged for our sin. Why? Because, remember, we've been washed as if we never sinned through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's not the issue. But we still are living in this life. You and I are still doing things, and, and we're in ministry, and, and we're rubbing elbows with other people, and work, and, and play, and in the fellowship, and church, and, and we're doing things. And the question becomes, what are, we, what are our motives in doing those things? Are those motives pure? Are they righteous with a pure heart before the Lord? Well, very much so, possibly. But do we ever do things with our own motives? 
a motive that it looks good on the outside to someone on the outside. Oh, man, look at him. Or, oh, look at her. Oh, praise the Lord. But was that motive righteous? Was it pure? Well, only you and the Lord know. But one day you'll be at a point where you will know for sure. The things that we lay down on the, be- the Bema seat, it's got to be tested by fire. And First Chron- uh, excuse me, First Corinthians chapter 3, we see this in 12 through 15. You can write that down. But as those things are tested by fire, the wood, hay, and stubble, you know what those were? Those were things that we did, but the motives were improper. They weren't pure. And guess what? When it's tested by fire, it goes up like wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, stubble, and I've probably done all three. That stuff's going to burn up. It's going to go up in flame. It's going to be burned and gone. But you know what? Here's the deal. In my heart, I know and I'm a fallen man, a broken vessel, just like all of us. But I know in my heart of hearts that I have done things with the best of my ability, with the most purest intentions, uh, from the most purest heart as possible. And you know what those are? That's what's left over. And guess what's left over? After the wood, hay, and stubble is just burned up and in flame and it goes up. After that's all gone, you know what's left? Oh, gold. Silver, precious stone, that's what's left. And that's what is tested by fire and it survives the test and it's left there. And we're rewarded, you guys. You're going to be rewarded in heaven. Do you know that? Do you deserve it? No, we don't deserve it. But we're going to get rewarded in heaven for those good things. We did it with a pure heart, a pure intention, and the motive was to further the kingdom of the Lord. The wood, hay, and stubble burned up, gone. Didn't pass the test. Fire took care of that. It says here, get this picture, if you will. This is what I see in my mind's eye. We're standing at the Bema seat, and all of our stuff's there. It's like, okay, Lord, test it. And with his fire, the flame in his eye, he just looks at it. Oh, man. All he had to do was look at it, and all the wood, hay, and stubble, obliterated, gone, vapor. But what's left is my reward. Crowns, we're told. That's awesome. I think that's the same Jesus that we're seeing right here. His eyes like a flame of fire. Verse 15, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Oh, so bright. Can't take it. It's hot. Woo. Intense. That was his countenance. The picture is amazing. Do you guys see what I'm saying by the poetry that he's writing, the illustrative writing? He's getting people fired up. I'm excited just reading it. Verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell 
at his feet as dead. Oh, you bet. I would have too. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. Isn't that what he always said? Are you fearful of something? Are you being tormented with fear, a spirit of fear? Do you, do you have a, a spirit of fear on you? Do you feel like you just can't shake it and kick it? You know what the Lord would tell you is do not be afraid. He would lay his hand on you and say, brother, sister, my child, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, he says. I'm the first and the last. I always was, and I will always be. I am, verse 18, he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now, the next key verse we have here, the next one on our outline, look at this, verse 19. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Guys, that is our outline. You know why I had a hard time coming up with an outline? Because I can't do a better one than that. This book has its own divine outline. It's right there. He says, verse 19, write the things which you have seen. What have they just seen? What had they just gone through? They had just gone through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, his persecution. Yes, his crucifixion and his death, but his resurrection, you guys. That's what they had just seen. That's what just took place, right? The things which you have seen and the things which are, which speaks of church history. The seven churches we're going to talk about in chapters two and three, those are chronological, and those speak of periods in history all the way to present day. You know what's really cool about it is when we studied these seven churches, you know what we're going to find? Us. You know what we're going to see? You know what you're going to see? You. What do I mean? Because the things that we're going to find in those churches, there are indictments from the Lord, from Jesus to those churches. Indictments that would say, hey, this is what I have against you. Now, there are some that have no indictments at all. They're, they're blessed. But for the most part, what it is, is there are things that were already beginning to develop in church that shouldn't be. And Jesus says, this is what I have against you. This is what I have against you. This is what I have against you. And you know what we're going to see? We're going to see ourselves. We're going to see what happens to churches congregationally, perhaps, but on a, on a zoomed-in uh, uh, point, we're going to see ourselves. We'll see things that we suffer from, even ourselves. It'll be really interesting. And it all happens in order. So that's key, number one. 
And then finally, write the things which will take place after this. After what? Well, at the end of the church age, even things that are future to us. Prophecy can have many uh, unfoldings. It can have a short-term fulfillment, or it can have a long-term fulfillment, or it can have both. And as you study the book of Daniel, you'll see there's a lot of prophecies that have both. But we're talking about things that haven't even happened in our time as of yet, things even in our future, the things that will happen after this, what? The church, the church age. He's going to write it all down. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand. He's going to tell us what those are. And the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So the seven stars, remember John saw that. What are those? Well, those are the angels of those seven churches. Well, what is that? Quite literally, what it means is those are the seven pastors or messengers, if you will, to each of those churches. Why are they likened to stars? We hear the word, oh, see all your favorite stars in this movie. And we think, oh, Hollywood stars. And that's how we associate, oh, they're a star. Oh, it means they're famous. But according to Daniel chapter 12, you know what a star is? A star is someone who brings someone to righteousness. And that's what we're talking about here. These seven stars are pastors of those churches. Now, John, the, John the pastor, the theologian, he's overseeing the work of all seven churches. He is their overseeing pastor, if you will, but each one has their pastor. We have a star at our church here. He wouldn't call himself one, but he, he brings people to righteousness through the teaching of the word. He's a star, according to Daniel, and that's who I believe. Not Hollywood, but Daniel. And finally, the lampstands which are there, the seven uh, lampstands which he saw, they are the seven churches. Beautiful chapter. We did it, you guys. I don't know how, but we did it. We could have gone really deep, but that is a taste of what is to come. We made it through chapter one. When we start getting into chapter two, we'll see more about these churches, and it only gets better from there. Amen? May you bless everyone who hears this word, Lord. We praise you. In your name we ask these things. Amen and amen. All right.